Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through the legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Welcome everyone to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Happy 2023. I hope everyone had a really great holiday with friends, family, travel. It was a pretty interesting when it came down to weather. For some reason, weather seems to always like to strike when everybody's at the airport. <laughs> so I find that to be always a fascinating concept. But um, so got a really exciting lineup that's starting to put together here for 2023. And today I'm starting off with my first guest, who's a really interesting consultant. She and I recently met and spoke, and I could tell we could probably talk for hours, only we have limited time here today. Um, but our experiences really overlap, and we both realized we're in the people business. I would like to introduce Rosemary Wilson, who is a crisis communication expert. She also does public relations uh, for crisis response, readiness, ongoing counseling, execution. Um, during her career, she's advised boards, well, the C-suite, if most people don't know what that is, that's actually the board of directors, CEOs, CIOs, CFOs, at Fortune 500 companies, along with different other types of companies of technology, education, entertainment, gaming, food services, healthcare. Her corporate crisis experience includes work on sensitive management transitions, labor employment disputes, cybersecurity, terrorist attacks, highly public corporate disputes, media investigations, or just to name a few. Her clients include high net worth individuals such as, such as board members, executives, um, and those that have their you know, potential, their reputation being threatened and losing everything. Not only that, she also has litigation experiences, why we connected, because I think where her job either ends or begins, my job ends or begins. So we, we have an interesting overlap there that we're going to have some great conversation of. So welcome, Rosemary. Thank you so much for being our first uh, guest in 2023. Thank you so much, Juliet. I'm so happy to be here. I've been looking forward to having this conversation today. Yeah, it's really, um, when we talked a week or two ago, it's just, I know we, we're going to become fast friends and colleagues, and I can tell that uh, that we've got a lot that we can uh, share with each other. Absolutely. I like jumping right in. Um, I saw you provided uh, crisis communications and really an emotionally driven situation where you provided on-the-ground counseling to support for a corporate brand that was one of the locations that became a site of a mass shooting. I mean, that that... That caught me so fast. Um, can you talk to me first about how you got involved with that? And secondly, I want to talk about the actual process. So how did you how did you get involved? Of course. Well, it's obviously and should not be kind of the first thing that people are thinking about when there's a situation like a mass shooting or terrorist attack or some other, you know, great 
tragedy um, along those lines. But obviously, a company that is or a corporation or the place war or the site where something like that happens is all of a sudden launched into the need to handle a lot of inquiries, um, a lot of media on the ground, just a huge amount of communications needs, right? While they're also trying to um, generally sort through exactly what's going on, the facts, um, navigate helping, you know, with the police um, investigation, dealing with emergency responders, um, and the whole nine yards. So I was brought in to really help the organization handle that and deal with the people that were on the ground. I was on the ground, not in, you know, the first, say, 24 hours, but really within this first 48, 72 hours to really help handhold um, and just navigate um, how to get through that. And that was uh, everything from dealing with what to say to the media um, to um, how to outreach to the folks obviously most impacted by the situation, those who were killed and their loved ones, um, those who were hospitalized, and really working with the organization to do everything that they could to help those folks in their moment of need. Um, and I think that um, in what I do, what happens is that it's very overwhelming when you're faced with a crisis, especially one like that, where, you know, nothing's going on one minute and the next minute, you know, the worst possible case scenario um, is unfolding or playing out in front of you. Um, and it's overwhelming because you are getting tweets, you're getting bombarded with um, news cameras, you're getting the community um, stopping by lots of questions. It's hard to know what to respond to and how to respond to all of it. And you're never dealing with a perfect set of information. I mean, we've all unfortunately at this point had experience watching, you know, hopefully most most folks from afar rather than that up close, but how these things unfold, um, never knowing exactly how many, you know, people have been um, injured, um, how many people have been killed, um, what the real situation is going on. And so um, it can be very overwhelming and confusing. And so it's really helping focus, get in there, meet people always emotionally where they are, um, make sure they know that you're in their corner and build that trust early on so that you can help them navigate how to respond. Um, the thing about crisis is that our human instincts usually hurt. Um, they don't help us in these situations because we want to do a fight or flight thing and you can't run away from these situations. That's not going to be good from, you know, a public perception standpoint. Um, and you don't want to fight through them either because that makes you look defensive. You're not hitting the emotional mark. And then you're usually not taking care of the people you need to be taking care of in that moment. So it's really helping people drown out the excess noise and focus in on what matters and who they need to be communicating to. Because in that type of situation, as in almost all types of issues or crisis management situations, if you really focus on the why behind the crisis and the who behind the crisis, and you make sure you're, you're doing and saying the things that you need to do and say to, to that group of people or those individuals, the rest goes a long way to take care of itself, right? So people get very distracted by what they need to mm -hmm. say to the media. Well, if the media hear you saying and doing the right things for the people who are impacted, that's going to be your best media message, right? Is them you showing mm -hmm. um, that that you're taking the right actions and that your focus is where it needs to be. But all too often, um, people have this false 
like pretense that they need to hold press conferences every hour on the hour and those types of situations, or they need to keep putting out new statements because they keep getting new or different inquiries. And unfortunately, that tends to extend the news cycle because if you give new information, new articles and new coverage is going to be um, out there, right? And rather than if you stick with what you're saying, you have one media statement through the entire crisis, at some point, you aren't doing things to inadvertently continue to um, escalate kind of the public facing crisis. And that really extends, like I say, to that example, as well as others. And then also just from a bandwidth perspective, right? You you only have so much energy in the day, you want to make sure yeah. that you're spending it in the right places where it counts. Okay, so you've hit on about 15 things <laughs> I want to talk to you about today, which is fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long-winded <laughs> a response, but there you go. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was exactly <laughs> what I was hoping for to start off this uh, this podcast for sure. When I talked to you before, too, I, I feel like you and I are put into very unique situations that most people don't even think about. They don't even think exists. And they're just listening to the media. They're on the outside or they're completely on the inside. So let me back up a little bit on a few, couple of things that you said. How do you, in such a emotionally intense situation whether it be something like this or um, a CEO that's, you know, getting ready to be just completely his reputation be exploded. How do you gain trust with that person? Um, it's a really good question. And I think just taking a step back, I think that if you're in this line of work, um, there's, you know, obviously a lot of people, well, maybe not a lot, but people that do this kind of work. I think the folks who are the best at it do have kind of intuitive or like natural instinct way that they go about it. I almost say like it's a sixth sense that you cultivate confidence in over time through dealing with crisis issues day in and day out. But at some fundamental level, um, you have an ability to, and really the only way I know how to do my job is to put myself in my client's shoes immediately, right? Um, meet them where they are, understand where they are psychologically, what they need from me, right? To um, what they need me to do, what they need me to say, what they need to hear from me so that so that they know that I'm in their corner. They know that um, it's going to be a partnership. And that's why when I started my own business, it's really about kind of that personal approach and a partnership-based approach with my clients, because that's the way that you can, um, it's the way I find um doing my work the most rewarding, um, certainly. So it, you know, I, I enjoy building those kinds of relationships. Um, but also, it's the most productive, because if you are able to do that, and meet someone where they are, you can bring them along, as you navigate through an issue in a way that you can't, if you don't start there, right? Because right, right. you can say and talk and give the best advice in the world. But if you haven't established that connection with someone at the beginning, they are less likely to follow that advice or counsel than if they know that you're with them from the beginning and you're getting through it with them together. Yeah, that you are speaking my language. That is my first thing of persuasion is that you have to put yourself in the decision maker's shoes, which is where our worlds overlap. And when I'm working with witnesses, it's very much the same way that you have to put yourself in the shoes of 
you know, the person that's sitting on that witness stand because it's not you. And uh, no matter how hard you try, and to me, it comes down to basic empathy, wouldn't you think? I mean, it's it's really about empathetic uh, actions and feelings. And then the compassion comes in on top. I've always thought empathy and compassion always work together, but they are separate. And that empathetic way, I could say the sixth sense, I do think it comes and I've seen really great lawyers, I've seen really great people, I've seen great consultants. When they have that sixth sense, they know when to Mm -hmm. stop. And and they know when to go. And like you said, that leading them down that, you know, that road to trust. And and to me that is trust, isn't that isn't that really what trust is, is when they open up that moment to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And something that you just said made me um, have an additional thought about kind of our worlds. Um, I think it's helpful to understand, say, in my world where the client is or in your world where the witness is, right? But then also where the folks are um, who you ultimately need to communicate to or influence, right? And so for you, that might be the jury box. For me, that is, you know, whoever has been impacted or cares about or has a stake in, um, you know, kind of the issue on the other side. I was thinking your client really is on trial by public opinion. Yes, often. My client is in trial in the courtroom. So that's where I always saw a lot, you know, sorry to interrupt you there, but that's why I just, it's been hitting me that, that you, your clients still go on trial in a different way because they have to answer questions, right? Yeah. They have to put themselves out there emotionally. They have to say the right things. They have to have the right facts. And that's where I think there's, um, I mean, am I right Absolutely. That? And in most, a lot of the situations, not all, but um, there's litigation risk as well, right? Um, or the potential for it, just based on the types of issues um, that have sometimes occurred or are playing out or have the potential to play out. So absolutely, though. And I mean, I think we've all seen cases and um, this is perhaps, you know, more true than ever, right? But there's always been some truth to it that you could win in the courtroom, but lose in the court of public opinion, right? And you uh, can still (laughs) suffer some pretty severe consequences, right, to your career um, or your personal reputation or what have you. So um, I always think when you're working with people in high stakes situations or companies in high stakes situations, it's extremely important to keep your eye on all aspects of it. Um, and, you know, all audiences who are involved or all of the key stakeholders who may be paying attention fairly vocally or maybe fairly quietly, right, but who are going to be important to you um, and your ability to emerge from whatever the situation is as unscathed as possible. Right. I mean, I, you know, the first, the first thing I'd always jump to is Elon Musk. I mean, you know, he, he's not only in the court of public opinion, but now he's got stock prices that are being affected and reputation that's being affected and trust in so many ways. And um, I don't know if, how much you've thought about that, but when I started working on some of these questions over the weekend, I thought, man, you know, Elon Musk is, he needs Rosemary at this point because it's, there's it's the ripple effect, right, of your clients. It does, like you said, it might not just be in the courtroom. It could be financially, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, one thing that's interesting, and I've given this a lot of thought based on, you know, I've worked with all sorts of types of people and personalities and, um, you know, I'm industry agnostic and is- issues agnostic. So, as I do my work, another important piece of it is understanding who that person is or what that company's ethos mm-hmm. is, right? And it's not all one and the same. Mm-hmm. So what is right for one client 
um, and what their brand and reputation is and what they're trying to preserve, it it's different for each one. And so you also need to understand that because that's going to guide what is appropriate in terms of how what someone says, does, or interacts and how they engage. And at the end of the day, your brand and reputation can be what you want it to be, right? So I know that there's, right. you know, some folks out there who are controversial. Um, people love them or hate them or what have you, but they are who they are and they certainly have a brand and reputation behind that. So I think that when you think about it kind of holistically from that, it can kind of change your viewpoint about what you may or may not think about any one specific individual. So let's talk about reputation for a little bit. You know, um, you know, a person's reputation, how would you explain how someone feels about their, is, is it an emotional thing? Is it a logical thing? Like what is reputation to you in your opinion? It's a really good question. And I think that um, there could be a few layers of that. I can certainly say that when someone wants to have a reputation that is aligned with and matches their personality, it is the most effective, right? So I think that there can be a wide range of that because some people want the reputation to be something or they want to be a certain way, but it's going to take a lot more to get there because naturally they're a different way, right? And so I think that um, when people, <laughs> some of the most successful people out there have really capitalized on understanding who they are at some level and developing a reputation for that. Right. And then, and do you find that reputation is emotional? Um, well, it certainly can be. And I, I don't think that um, people even realize how emotional it is until it's threatened. And that's when I am usually um, dealing with someone. And I should say that I really love to work with people and companies before an issue is playing out publicly or there's an actual active crisis. Because if you can get in there and work with people kind of at stage one or stage two of a problem, your likelihood of successfully being able to contain it or mitigate it entirely is much higher, obviously, than once you're closer to having that tipping point of something going public. And when I say public, that doesn't just mean the media. People always think IR and they think, oh, or IR, I'm sorry, PR, and they think the media. But when I am working with my clients, media is not always the most important audience and it, you shouldn't be thinking of it that way. You want to be thinking of okay, is this going to be public with my employees, with my customers, clients, with regulators, with government officials, um, with whomever? Because if you can communicate with them directly, do right by them early on and catch it fast, um, you're likely able to diffuse the situation before people feel the need to take it to a journalist or to air their grievances on you know, a social media channel. And that's really where individuals and companies can save themselves a lot of time, resources, and heartache if they can um, really identify and mitigate quickly. So I think that, that that is what I love to do because going back to your question now, it is so painful for, for people and companies once that their reputation is threatened or damaged, or there's going to need to be some repair work involved. Um, and it usually is a much longer road if you are catching something kind of at stage three or four than if you, than if you catch it earlier. Um, and yeah. 
you had a client that actually let's how do you know what stage one is? I mean, how does a client or how does any corporation know or person or celebrity or just even a human being? How do they know what stage one is? It really is having, and this is where I have ongoing relationships with some clients and try to help them see around the corner. Because if you do this kind of work day in and day out, you do have that ability to kind of see what's ahead or what's coming. So it, the first time, say, right. you have an employee um, come and raise an issue, right? If you handle that carefully, deliberately, hit the right emotional marks, right? You're less likely to have that employee ratchet something up by posting something on a Slack channel that then goes, you know, to the company that gets other people, you know, involved or raising the same types of topics that then can spill over into, you know, more public channels, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like my kind of an employee labor-based example, but that really applies to anything. Um, and the more you can work with a company and work with the executives that oversee the various lines of business and you start to engage people in active and kind of ongoing conversations about their business, they start to realize the types of issues and when they should flag them before they bubble up to a crisis. So you start to have internally people raise their hand, notify the legal department, notify their comms team, an outside expert, someone like me or something to say, hey, this is happening. Is this something we need to be aware of? And then you can gather the right people to quickly assess and mitigate. And you're essentially downgrading the threat actively before it has a chance to, to really bubble up any further. Interesting. It's, I mean, it's, we're just so similar. I mean, it's so, it's, it's, it's very similar in that instinctive thing of like, you're going to step into this pitfall when you're testifying exactly it's just a it's smaller it's a smaller uh microcosm but it's um it's that place of like okay you're going to step in this if if we go here but how do you feel about that and that's why i'm always looking at how a witness or the client feels how how does the lawyer feel about the situation but um i want to step a little bit into trauma so you know i'm just uh, you know i'm such a lover of gabor mate which dr gabor mate is um quoted on here many times, but, you know, he talks about that trauma is not exactly the event, but it's really the disconnection of self because they're in a situation that's so painful. And it's when that separation happens, that's trauma, because that's where we go back to try and fill that hole. Do you, do you find that your clients see it as a traumatic event sometimes, or do they even think that it's affected them in the long run? Of course, you know, I mean, I do think that when you're dealing with something there is this need to get through it, right? Um, and so a bit of those survival instincts, I guess going back to kind of the human instincts aspect, that's one of the ones that may be sort of helpful. You kind of, um, it depends on the person or the individual or the company, but really working through it and getting to the other side. And then, you know, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that by training, but, you know, I do know because, you know, having kept in touch with a lot of my clients are continuing to work with them after the fact, Right kind of working through that is definitely an important piece of it. And I think how traumatic something is, to some degree, correlates to how personal the issue is. But that's not just, it doesn't have to be an individual's personal situation to be that. Um, I've worked with a lot of founders, for example, who have, you know, they're 
company is their firstborn baby, right? I mean, they pour their blood, right. sweat, right. tears, I, everything I into it. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yes. I can relate to that. Yes. So if um, something happens, right, and there's a crisis situation, it is a corporate crisis situation, but um, it feels as though it's an attack on that company's, you know, culture or um, ethos or way of doing mm-hmm. things or something like that that gets mm-hmm. kind of at the company's core identity that can feel very personal um, to someone that um, that is in that that is in that role and it's an unfortunate thing because one thing that founders and all need to really actively work on to kind of save themselves from going through that crisis situation is that oftentimes but people are successful because early on in entrepreneur days, they buck those types of policies and procedures. And they have these great (laughs) cultures and ethos that's, you know, just kind of go get them and all of this stuff. And that works amazing when you have people in your basement, like churning things out, you know, day in and day in night, maybe it even works once you have 10 employees, maybe even 50, but you reach a point either because you have you reach an employee level or you've gone public or you've had other corporate milestones where um, the risks associated with some of the very things that led to your success become real vulnerabilities. And so I love getting to work with those types of companies too, as they kind of reach that tipping point so that they can gradually right size their approach um, because it's very difficult and getting back to really what the core of your question is kind of traumatic for folks if, it has to happen suddenly, right? Because they're having to all of a sudden institute a complete reversal of policies, procedures, culture, ethos in reaction to something that is an issues or crisis-based situation. Yeah, you, gosh, you keep hitting so many <laughs> so many points. I could talk to you for hours, um, you know, because being a business owner, I can, you know, I'm jumping right into what you're saying. All of a sudden I start uh, getting a little bit of a, little bit of tightness in my chest on my reputation and where it was in the litigation world and employees I was hiring and were they representing me? And, you know, there was a lot of that because it was very personal to me. And of course, I ended up doing a lot of, you know, healing work around it because there were moments that would become very traumatic to me because it would hit me emotionally. It would really hit my heart, you know? And um, so let's talk a little bit about like the aftercare. Like what, what do you suggest to your clients for aftercare? Do you talk to them about meditation, chiropractic? I mean, I'm, I'm into so many different modalities. I mean, what is your uh, recommendation for healing this kind of trauma for your clients? Um, you know, I don't have one. I think that that's so personal. I have close relationships because of kind of my approach, like we've talked about. So a lot of times things will come up and I always find it actually interesting. I've learned from a lot of my clients about how, the things that they do, you know, to kind of take care of themselves through some of these things and and, in the aftermath. But the part where I feel like I have involvement is really in that kind of partnership and team-based approach, because I do think that working together and when you are working as a partnership or a team to work through these types of issues where a lot's at stake, there's a lot of adrenaline involved, it can be very, very tense, obviously, but getting to the other side with someone is so rewarding, right? And I think that people do fare better when they have those connections and they do have a working group and that they trust. So depending on the situation, right, if they do have, um, if they're a corporation and they really have kind of the executives around the table or the key internal stakeholders that they know they can rely on and trust and they have 
you know, legal counsel that they know has their back and all of that. It's really that working group kind of getting to the other side. I think there is um, a sense of there could be a sense of kind of great satisfaction and just it's very uh, bonding in a way, you know, professionally bonding. So it is, it is very bonding. Mm -hmm. It's very bonding and it's very, um, you know, some of the most, uh, you know, emotional moments when you're sitting there with someone and and you're witnessing them in their lowest moment or their highest moment, you know, it's, um, it's a privilege, you know, I, 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 see it as a privilege that someone is able to I've got multiple times I've sat with clients who've asked me to come in and talk to them because you know things are either too stressful or let's you know and I, I like like you said that sixth sense in me of like okay let's get into the compassionate mode and then you open up this world with the person sitting in front of you which to me is a gift that they open right back to you when they really need it so it's um I know that uh, you're probably very, very valuable emotionally. You're a healer in your own right. You don't even <laughs> probably know it. And uh, but let, I, I like to ask this question: Do you do you think that um, you have clients that just don't think it's phased them, and then later they have PTSD later, and they kind of come back and like, wow, I have no idea it was you know because especially something in like a a public shooting or something to that effect, or even just you know, I I, I go back to my own personal experience and how hard it was being a business owner. And then you're also looking at this wide range of something that, you know, you've been with this corporate, you know, setting that's been in a really publicly, emotionally intense situation. I mean, that's such a wide range of things. Do you, do you think everyone in that spectrum knows how to heal themselves from these situations? Um, it's a good question. And um, I certainly think that it happens. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think that... Um, when you work through these, it's not necessarily a linear process, right? Or something can bring it up. And right. um, I, I do think with the people that I worked with who have gone through um, a crisis or reputational hit or event, um, they're much more sensitive and attuned to things moving forward because they don't want to go through it again. So just from the right. fact that some of my clients who do engage me on a more proactive basis to mitigate risk individually or on behalf of the corporation. Mm -hmm. A lot of times our clients that I initially worked with through a crisis and they go, well, that was terrible, right? Like, let's definitely not do that again. So (laughs) (laughs) so how how do we, how do we work on that of the prevention? Right. right? Um, And I think until you've gone through that experience, it's hard sometimes to say, I should dedicate the resources to this, or I should take a more proactive approach to this, but you really understand the value once you've learned the hard way. So I definitely have that. I've also had clients um, come to me where they do make life decisions later based on what they've been through in the past. Right. And they decide, you know what? I, that was being, you know, the face of a public company in that type of situation was extremely stressful and draining and had, you know, consequences mm-hmm. for the health of, for my health, for my family's health, for, you know, our overall well being. Um, and um, people have sought my advice to say, what should my next move be so that, you know, I don't necessarily have the same risk, right? These are kind of the job, the next job mm-hmm. offers that are on the table or areas that I could pursue from kind of a risk analysis based perspective, which do you think 
is exposes me to the least amount of, you know, future ongoing right. risk. And so definitely right. I see it less so from, because, you know, I'm not a mental health professional, even though, you know, I have casual conversations with clients about that. And I certainly encourage people to do what they need to do for themselves. But um, I think where I see it is more from kind of a business perspective after it and people coming back and asking for that kind of mitigation or asking for that kind of personal advice. Um, because, it's mm-hmm. not a situation you want to go through more than you don't want to go through it once. You definitely don't want to go yeah. through it twice. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, once you get burned, you definitely don't put your hand back on the exactly. fire. So and my, you know, my, my last question, I, I always like to ask, what do you do for your self care? I mean, you know, you and I very much in the same situations of being, you know, in very emotionally charged, intense, um, you know, it obviously affects us. And how, how do you, what do you do for your self-care? And Absolutely. For your so health? I always laugh about this because, you know, when you read about, and there's a lot out there now, right? I think that's one of the things that's so great about what you're doing and the timing. And I feel like there's an openness to really looking at how um, things that we used to kind of put in professional boxes, legal boxes, all of these things, I think we're all kind of starting to see the mashup of life, right? And how um, we need, there's mental mm-hmm. health and wellness and overall well-being in every aspect of, you know, what we do, what we engage in, all of that. So, um, but that said, the thing about all these articles that I read, you know, they all take more time, right? Oh, yes, you should meditate X amount of time for a day, do this, do that, you know, get more sleep, Um spend a bajillion hours preparing super healthy meals for yourself, right? All of these things. It's like, that all sounds like great advice, but I need to retire right now so that I can do all of these things. Um, And I'm not at that point yet. So um, uh, in an ideal world, I would probably be doing more um, and and following through on some of the things that I read could be best practices, but that where I really get a lot of benefit is exercise. So um, for me, if I'm feeling stressed, um, I just really like going on a, not going to pretend like I'm some amazing runner. It's more of a jog than it is a run, but, um, but <laughs> that for me has always just helped me clear my mind to come back. Um, I don't know if it's those endorphins or what, but just come back and sometimes I can refocus, um, and see something, um, more clearly, um, you know, than I maybe was pre- able to previously. So, so that's where I work yeah. out a lot of a lot of things. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, I really, really, I love this conversation. Like I said, I, I have probably 15 to 20 more questions I could ask you, but we're kind of running out of time. And uh, so, yeah, I know I, uh, not that I may have you back and uh, we get a, you know, crisis that happens that we want to talk about or something that, you know, how you'd handle. I mean, it's um, one of the things I, that I can throw out there. I'm very impressed with the football player with the Buffalo Bills and how, they're talking about mental health for football players and seeing, you know, these unbreakable men who are breaking in front of people on television. I just find it to be so, so hard and yet so beautiful that we are able to have the conversation that men can be in that situation. So it's, uh, I just, I don't know, that's been a really eye-opening thing for me this week on we are able to talk about mental health and we're able to talk about how to how to heal and how to, you know, just get our hearts bigger. And so, um, so I really want to thank you today, Rosemary. It's really been a great conversation and um, you know, I look forward to kind of having you back. 
Thank you, Julia. It's so important. Like I say, I think this is a great podcast and I've enjoyed listening to some of the other folks that you've had on it and their perspectives and personal experiences that they've shared and have been really enlightening. Thanks. Good. Thank you so much. So, well, everybody, I wanted to take a, a just a quick second and kind of dedicate this podcast today to uh, to our boy dog Peyton, who we lost a couple days before Christmas. We're healing. It's not been the easiest uh, process, and it never is. But we are doing the best we all can, um, especially for the holidays. But he was a fighter and um, 13 years old, and he defied all the odds of cancer and doctors through the pandemic and um, the amazing, amazing veterinarians out there that uh, study oncology and the um, veterinarian that came to our home and help us with this transition. Just amazing healers and people out there. So I, I just, I put it out there to others that when you are grieving or you're in stressful situations, there are people out there to help you. You look at someone like, you know, Rosemary talking to her today, just you're never alone, and um, sometimes it seems like you can be, but there's so many beautiful people out there that really walked us through this process. So I want to thank every one of them, and I want everybody to start off this new year with uh, prosperity and health, and don't forget to go out and spread the love. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find her books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts. The content, opinions, and information shared by the hosts and guests on this podcast are not to be considered professional legal advice or therapeutic counseling. If you need assistance, consult with a licensed attorney or therapist if you are appearing as a witness, experiencing emotional trauma, or are involved in any sensitive legal matters. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you.